You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal week in and week out to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places, and who understand the value of what God is doing there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and today I am super excited to have a conversation with the pastor, Jason Kindleberger. He uh, hails from Idaho, and I just love his story. He's been bivocational. He has uh, served in law enforcement and then is pastoring a church that he grew up at, and it's just such a fun uh, set of lessons that emerged from his life, and I had such a great time chatting with him. Uh, But we're definitely excited to interview him today. So, Pastor Jason, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. And uh, we just, uh, again, as I mentioned, love to dive into the unique stories that Rural Church is, uh, comes from all over, is found in all ways. And so why don't you just start by uh, maybe describing for us your journey in ministry um, and, or, and kind of your connection to the Rural Church. You know, I know that that you uh, did actually a lot of like volunteer as you led up to kind of this full-time role. And so I'd just love to hear about your journey. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how uh, unique it is to other rural pastors or whatever, but I kind of grew up there. I started going to that church at 12. I got saved at 15, Uh, went off to college just in the town next door um, and got married to the girl I met in that same church too, which is kind of funny. And then we got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on, on campus and became leaders there and then got back involved with the church up in Idaho City, kind of got the pastor calling us back up. And we started doing Sunday school uh, together, uh, teaching Sunday school youth together. Um, I got involved a little later on with uh, the men's breakfast Bible study. would cook breakfast for everybody and invite people and food brought them in. And then the word kept them, right? And then got involved with Royal Rangers, did Royal Rangers for seven years. That's kind of like a Christian Boy Scouts. And then God just kept moving us along. And uh, we took over the youth program, me and my wife, uh, for five years. And then got the call to be a pastor and kind of segued and, uh, into that spot here about a year ago. Yeah. Well, and what can you tell us about Idaho City? Idaho City is, uh, I guess it used to be, they, their claim to fame is that they took more gold out of Idaho City than Alaska. Wow. And so it was going to be the capital of Idaho, and then they kind of lost it and it burned down three or four times. And now it's like a small little happy cowboy town of about 450 people. Awesome. Well, I love that. And I love, uh, again, hearing about your journey. And and I would say that a lot of people probably do sympathize with, you know, you kind of put your hand to the plow and do one thing and one thing and one thing. And suddenly you're like, am I pastoring? I think this is this is what I'm doing suddenly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also you serve, and I mentioned it briefly, but tell us a little bit about your career in law enforcement as well. Uh, so I've been doing that for about 20 years, uh, maybe a little longer, not much. It's in my family. Uh, so uh, it, I got the gold. God call to law enforcement too. Uh, my mom, my dad, my grandfather, my other grandfather, you know, uh, they said I'm like fourth generation, but I can only count three. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a while. It's, it's a good job. It's, it's different though. The bivocational thing is a challenge, but 
it's working out. God is good. Yeah. And let's dive into that a little bit. So obviously 20 years. So for the entirety of the time you've been in the church, serving the church, now really the pastor of the church, you've been bivocational. And so let's talk about just in what ways has this been a blessing to like you and your ministry? Like, obviously we know that that people pick for different reasons or sometimes the context picks it for them, but like, what are the blessings you've found to being bivocational? I think honestly, the big one is the boots on the ground. I'm with the congregation. They're doing and, and going to work every day, just like me. And then you get to practice what you preach, right? Um, yeah. You get those opportunities to uh, talk to people about God. You get the opportunities to uh, help and serve and minister in real ways. Uh, it's not just talk. It's doing its, its effort and its time. And, and I think that is a connection that the people, your, your congregation get. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And, and maybe also just dive into the flip side of it. You know, you mentioned that it is a challenge, but like, what do you consider the most challenging aspect of having to kind of manage both those roles? It's nice to have a wife that, that kind of runs the show. I mean, uh, she's my brain. Uh, <laughs> she's yeah. my calendar, you know, uh, she makes sure I'm not running into the ground, but uh, it definitely is a challenge, uh, but it's, it's worth it. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of investing in the kingdom in both ways, at least I think. So um, it, it, I mean, the obvious benefits are retirement and uh, medical and planning in the future. But, uh, and then when you do retire, you, you can go full-time ministry and that financial load isn't on the little church mm-hmm. that uh, finances usually means so much about later on. So hmm. that's really cool. I, I never really thought of it also in the light of like, Sunrise Bivocational does help take that financial pressure off the church that you're working at, which can be a huge blessing to a rural church. Um, So let's dive in a little bit to uh, kind of the law enforcement side of things, because one of the favorite uh, things that I love about God is that he tends to waste nothing, right? We're familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible and in the Old Testament, where no matter what he did or what happened to him, all of these experiences managed to, you know, lead up and work into the calling on his life. And I I know that when you spoke about how your parents and grandparents shaped your view on police work and how their views kind of apply to both work and ministry, maybe can you share with us some of the values that they instilled in you? Because it seems like uh, when I talked to you that you mentioned that they didn't just affect how you do police work, but really did just affect how you treat people. And so talk to us a little bit about your heritage in that area. It's true. I Man, my examples in life were happy. Uh, typically, you think of a career police officer and they are grumpy, you know. Yeah, um, or cynical or burnt yeah, out or jaded, right. you know, all those things. Uh, right, but not my not my family, not my dad, not my mom, not my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, uh, I remember him specifically speaking to me, saying that I need to treat people like they were my mom, like they were my grandmother, like they were my brother or sister. And it didn't matter what walk of life they were from, whether they were, you know, white collar up or epsilon to the dirty and lowly and, you know, the gangbang or the ruffian, the, uh, the, the criminal, the lost, the mad, the sick, that you would treat them with respect and the respect that they deserve and that does, that translates 
into how God views us, right? That translates into he spent time and detail in making you. Um, and it doesn't matter your your walk of life, where you're from or what you're doing. It doesn't change the fact that God made you. And I just saw that. I learned that from my grandfather. And I'm like, wow, this is good. And that's never, never left me. And then I've had certain things in my career that have solidified that. I don't know if you have time for a little story. Oh, we love stories. One day I was taking this guy to jail and he was going to be in jail for a while. He was, he was most likely going to prison. It, you know, the absolute worst crime you can think of. One of those things is, is sexual assault or molesting children. And that was this guy. And he was already kind of broken as I was taking him to jail. And if you can imagine, you know, myself in a police car and looking at my rear mirror, you're supposed to watch your prisoner all the way, all the way to the jail. So I'm watching him and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to turn on some Christian music. He's going to hear that all the way. So I turned that on and the song came on from Toby Mac. And I remember it was just washing over him and I was watching him just break down. And, and uh, most people hate these people. People uh, have already imagined where they're going to spend eternity, you know, and it's not kind of the prejudged of saying, no, this is it. You know, you you of all people wrecked your chance, you know, is how it feels for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I just noticed he was crying and and I'm like, hey, I had this epiphany. I'm like, you want to know the difference between you and me? And he's like, what? I go, I have Jesus. That's the only difference between you and me. Buddy, you need Jesus. And I knew he could find Jesus in jail. I knew he could find Jesus in prison. And I knew he had the whole rest of his life that God was allowing him to breathe. He could find his father in heaven. And I'm like, wow, that is really the only difference between all of us on this planet Earth mm-hmm. is Jesus. Wow. What a challenging teaching. I, uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners feel the same way, but like, that is, I mean, there are times where like the limits of how we show love and grace are tested. And even listening to that story, I'm like, well, do I want to give a person like that a chance? You know, like it is so stretching to to realize as many have poetically said the scandal of grace. And what a cool, man, what a cool testimony and what a cool way in which these two worlds have collided in your life and in your ministry. And uh, no, that's cool stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, your church experience. So you mentioned that you grew up in uh, this church or, you know, kind of went there when you were 12, saved at 15. And the pastor who preceded you was there for literal decades. You know, he was the, the long timer, you know. So, of course, uh, I mean, that's in a small town, like that's kind of what you want. But but you are the guy who followed the guy who was there for decades, you know. And so it's uh uh, and I know you mentioned, and, and obviously we dove into a little bit of your story and talked about, you know, what's it like to follow longevity and what what ups, you know, what helps did you have because you'd already been there. But what I want to dial in on is you mentioned that during kind of the takeover of this church, you have uh, worked a lot with mentors in your life. And so can you, and I know that as pastors, like, I love the concept of making sure that we have mentorship. And so what what role did mentorship play in your life during that transition? And do you kind of recommend other pastors find it or how do you recommend they find it in their lives? You know? Oh my goodness. So I'll just recommend it right away, right off the top. <laughs> um, sure. It, yeah. I think throughout your whole walk, I mean, I already have a plan uh, of getting with this retired pastor and, and riding in his, you know, truck with him on, on his commute just to glean as much as I could 
you know, from him uh, when I retire. But um, no, my, the senior pastor uh, was there for 39 years. Huge Dang. shoes field uh, to fill. Uh, amazing man, amazing mentor, a father figure even to me, a friend uh, beyond bounds. Uh, but uh, it's too close. And there's so much change that goes on with uh, a pastoral change. And, and it's dependent on, on, on how long you've been there and when you can, you know, make change and all that stuff. That's like a whole nother podcast, I'm sure. But he's the one that recommended that I should get a mentor throughout this transition. And even through my first year, I I just kind of completed it already uh, with these mentors. They, uh, they were recently retired. They're super successful. God had done just miracles through this couple. And, And so they were fresh out of the field. And so mm. they could feel what my pastor was feeling, oh, uh, wow. but then also knew how to start churches and work through the rigmarole and know what it was like, the husband and wife dynamics, and uh, because my wife was invited with it. Uh, so my wife and I did this together with these mentors, and it was, at first I was a little... Uh, I don't know. I didn't really want to pay for it. And, you know, I wasn't really sure. Oh, I know enough. Oh, I got enough resources, sure. yeah. uh, but uh, no, it was worth it just for my wife and I to do it together was incredible. They recommended books. They had ideas and steps with vision and how to process that vision within the church. Uh, and then the, the ups and downs and what to expect and how to respond to what to expect. Um, they, they were also a, outside uh, observer so they'd watch some of the services and they'd they'd like hey jason you know how would you cut the fat you know in that uh service you know how would you get down to the brass tacks and and just things i didn't think about and things Mm. uh, that i wasn't getting before Uh, one of the books that changed my life was uh predictable success Mm. so if you want a book out there on on how uh, how to evaluate where your church is at and where to go and how to get there and the steps involved in change. That book was fantastic. It's it's not even a Christian church book. It's just principle and it's been around forever and you can apply it. Nice. We'll definitely throw that in the show notes. Yeah. Sounds like a good recommendation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess lots of, I could go on and on. Um, oh, one sure. of the principles I, I, I put in my brain and I can't get it out uh, and it was uh, being known for uh, what you're for as a church rather than what you're against. Mm. Because there's so much negativity out there, too. And I like that, to be known what we're for uh, as a church uh, rather than what we're against. So I love that. Keeps it positive. So Yeah. Well, and I, I genuinely love that um, a lot of people could have made the case that you didn't need mentorship. You know, like... You had grown up in this church, you knew the system, you knew the people, you know, you were passionate, you had a stability in the community. Like a lot of people like could have said, oh, he'd, he'd be fine. And yet for you to seek it out anyways uh, is just a huge mark on its importance, you know? And so uh, thanks for sharing that. You also mentioned the idea of coffee church, right? And I really love when anyone attaches any random word in front of the word church because it's all we do these days and it's super fun. I think it represents innovation and we have dinner church and coffee church and who knows, maybe somewhere there's a saloon church. You know, you just don't know, you know, you don't know what's happening, but uh, that's right. But, but the reason I want to dial in on coffee church is because it kind of represents a natural thing that happens in all of our churches where we go from 
you know, one program that was working that doesn't work, and then we have to let it morph into something new. And so tell us where that idea came from. Tell us the process of change and how it got to where it is, because I think it's important to remind ourselves that like, this is how innovation happens. We look at what is and we try and improve. And so just tell us again, that journey. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, it started with a problem. Um, our Sunday school, which in, in every church's mind is pretty essential. Um, and youth was going good and, and the children's church was going good. But the adult Sunday school was like out the window. Uh, mm. There was like zero to four people max. That was a good Sunday. Um, and, you know, the age range was, you know, 93 and above. Uh, not, not really. That was a little exaggeration. But, sure, it, but just, it was pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't happening. And so we we're like, what do we do? And, uh, well, we have a really nice foyer because adult Sunday school was in the in a back office. And could we change the location? And it was like, no, no, no. And then all of a <laughs> sudden, uh, I also had another problem. And the other problem was that my workers in the foyer, the greeters, the coffee makers, they weren't getting church. They weren't getting Sunday school and they weren't getting church because they're greeting, they're escorting, they're making coffee, you know? And so I'm like, well, can we put them together? The foyers full of windows. And um, if we did Sunday school in there, then we, they would at least be listening. And maybe they'd even, you know, be a part of it, right? Yeah. So it was it was weird how much uh, no's I got from it. The coffee would be too loud. People would be coming in and out of the door. They'd be acting like they'd be coming into a classroom and then they'd be uncomfortable and leave the church. I had all those things kind of coming at uh, me for that change. And then when you announce Sunday school, it just didn't have a ring to it. it people would already glaze over because for the past 150 years, Sunday school meant, you know, work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. For sure. Or it was very, it just has a, a, some baggage to it. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I just was like thinking, well, maybe this will work. So we tried it um, within two months. We had 30 to 40 people show wow. up. Uh, the greeters were trained to like, hey, come get some coffee. And if you want, you can just have a seat with your coffee and muffin and listen in on what's going on. Uh, you're not interrupting anything. And we just made it really lax and uh, had some really awesome biblical topics that had everything to do with school. <laughs> hmm. But they could sit down at a table with their coffee and muffin and get up whenever they needed to. And uh, it, it blew up. Um, and it has been that. fantastic. Um, and, and people are getting saved in coffee church. Uh, we changed the name just recently, literally like, I don't know, maybe two months ago. It was mm -hmm. like coffee shop discipleship. And then I just called it coffee church for short and it stuck. Nice. Um, so that's been the gist. Uh, we've been going through uh, the Bible. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've been doing summaries of Genesis uh, all the way through Revelation and and then encouraging them, hey, read, see how amazing your book, these books and letters are? Go home and, and read them. Um, and they have been. It's been really, really good. Good. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And again, I love that it's a response to just uh, it's just it's just innovation. It's just fixing a problem and seeing what God does with it. 
Uh, and I think a lot of us um, maybe are, are sitting in our board meetings going, yeah, I've heard a lot of no's. And it's like, well, maybe this is encouragement to press on and press through and see if something cool can happen. Uh, so last question. Um, and again, I know it's kind of a personal passion of yours, but I always love hearing, um, you know, why people love what they do. Um, I had a friend who I value a lot who said, you know, the only way we really see God is by looking into the lives of how he speaks to each one of us. You know, like it's it's really the whole body of Christ. And so you mentioned that you are passionate about the subject of apologetics, right? The defense of the faith, the reasons for why we believe what we believe, really um, not just saying, well, I, I believe it and that's that, but just really diving into the roots of what we do. And so why are you passionate about it? And why do you think it's an important subject matter for pastors to consider or dive into, you know? It's funny when you asked me that, I I never really even thought about it, but I, I was thinking maybe the roots are for when I got saved. Mm-hmm. I remember I was, I was close to my grandparents who were pastors also, and uh, I was living with them for the month for the summer. And I had this uh, thought that God could possibly really truly exist. And if that was true, then I'm in really big trouble. Sure. And I'm like, and if that's true, well, then how, how this, why this, you know, it is, you know, and I asked all these questions and they just answered them. No problem. They just answered them quick and easy. And I, I was changed the day later. Um, yeah. And so and that's, that's, the, what, that's the change, right? Like, that's the, like, like, you're like, I love apologetics because someone was able to defend their faith and it, and it led to life change. I mean, that's super cool. Yeah. And so maybe that's where that came from, but also, uh, I, I love the field that I'm in. I, I, I make cases. I get assigned cases. Um, I, I'm a police officer, but I get assigned casework and I work casework. And I, I got into apologetics. Uh, I started getting into like Frank Turk and Jay Warner Wallace and Josh McDowell and, um, you know, Lee Strobel and, and started listening to all their podcasts because my commute to work is an hour each way. So basically, God educated me through 17, 18 years of commute uh, back and forth to work. Uh, I, I think if you ask the normal Christian what they believe, they can tell you most of the time. But when you ask them why they believe that it's true, uh, you get you get a lot of weird answers or none at sure. all. Sure. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I like the proof and evidence of casework. And how the truth and and the uh, it leads you to a conclusion, um, rather than you just coming up with your own opinion yourself. And um, and Christianity is incredible. There's no other religion like it. Um, mm. So I, my passion is there, and and my wife um, is my uh, uh, like gauge on whether I should get off that soapbox or stay on it for a little mm-hmm. bit because sure. I go to it so often. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good stuff though. Cause again, um, yeah. Apologetics even more. I mean, you know, you talk about what context you find the most need for apologetics and it's really kind of at the point we might find ourselves where um, society goes from maybe having at least a perception of Christian roots to maybe changing away from that. And more and more, as more ideas emerge in the marketplace of, of what we're thinking, it's super important to dive down to why we believe. And so, um, so I just love hearing that encouragement and I love hearing how it, you know, kind of played a role in your own salvation. Um, well, Hey, I guess as we wind down, I guess I just want to say thanks for being on the podcast today. This has been a really delightful conversation. 
Thank you for having me. This is great. You do good work. And I've been listening to your podcast and I've been learning a lot myself. So yeah, I know that's, that's kind of how I feel is, uh, you know, people are like, well, does anybody listen to this? I was like, well, uh, a rural pastor's podcast is a little more niche than let's say like a fantasy football or politics or true crime. But man, I am learning so many things. I'm like, even if no one else does, I'm just going to be a better pastor, hopefully. <laughs> so, so, uh, well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, I just wanted to say thank you again for tuning in. Hopefully you you are finding content that is not just spoken to you, uh, but is spoken by people who get it. We hope that you are encouraged, challenged, and inspired to follow God and continue doing good work. Uh, of course, as we mentioned, um, we love when other people listen to this podcast and you could leave a review and a rating and those things are super helpful. Uh, but in the most real of fashions, just find somebody who needs to hear this stuff, who could learn a thing or two and uh, pass it on. And so for this week, I've been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Jason Kindleberger, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.